You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You're listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is now a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at AllIndianaPodcastNetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle or me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guests today are former chairman of the Indiana Republican Party, Party, excuse me, Murray Clark, former chairman of the Indiana Democratic Party, Kipper V2, and political and state house reporter emeritus is that a fair title i'll take it <laughs> jim shella uh, it's so great to have all of you on the podcast look Quite forward beer. to a discussion yeah. uh, as way of background murray served as an indiana state senator for 11 years representing portions of marion and hamilton county he was a candidate for lieutenant governor in 2000 and served as chairman of Mitch Daniels' successful campaign for Indiana governor in 2004. He also served as chairman of the Indiana Republican Party from 2006 to 2010, including serving as my boss from 2006 to 2007, during which he left my office shaking his head more than once, <laughs> only made happy by these cashews and M&Ms that I had there. Through Murray's leadership, the state Republican Party retained the governor's office, won a majority in the Indiana General Assembly, and recaptured a United States Senate seat in 2010. And by way of transition, we should also note that Murray's maternal grandfather served as chairman of the Democratic National Committee under President Harry Truman Correct. in, in the early 1950s. Right. He was forced out by Adlai Stevenson, who then got slaughtered by Dwight Eisenhower mm. twice. Kip, too, is a former chairman of the Indiana Democratic Party and the Marion County Democratic Party. Are you the only one who's had that distinction? John Good had it. He's been an, adv an advisor in several statewide campaigns, including uh, campaigns for Secretary of State and the United States Senate. In addition, he served as deputy campaign manager for Governor Joe Kernan in 2004. Kip also served on the campaign staff of Indiana Governor Frank O'Bannon and was a member of the Indianapolis City County Council. He is most famous, well, he's famous for a lot of reasons, but he was state chair of the Barack Obama presidential campaign in Indiana and authored an account of that historic effort titled Journey to Blue, How Barack Obama Won Indiana 
in 2008. And last but not least, Jim Shella was Wish TV's statehouse reporter for more than 30 years, during which time he also served as host of the political roundtable show, Indiana Week in Review. Did you do that show, Murray? Murray, Murray was a semi-regular on that show. Kipper V? Uh, Jim had me on once to help promote my book. <laughs> <laughs> like Johnny Carson. <laughs> uh, since his retirement from both these duties, he has been promoted to political co-host of the Leaders and Legends podcast. <laughs> Thank you all again for being here. Uh, before I turn the show over to Jim, I wanted to ask each of you, this is kind of, we don't do big P politics, we do fun, small P politics on the podcast. So I want to ask Murray to start. What was your first uh, political memory? Well, other than the lively discussions at Thanksgiving and Christmas, you mentioned uh, my grandfather. We have Irish Catholic Democrats on one side of the family and Scottish Presbyterian Republicans on the other side. My dad dragged me around. He ran for the Indiana House of Representatives in 1962 and then uh, and won. And then 64, one of those great uh, years for Republicans. Uh, the Republican House, Republicans in the House went from a two to one majority to a two to one minority, and he was one of the casualties. So that was 62 and 64. And then 67, same kind of deal. I was dragged around by my uncle Alex, who ran as a favorite in the mayoral primary, only to be upset by a 33 year old guy that nobody's ever heard from again named Luger. And the only the other one I would mention is I uh, another one of my uh, string of successful campaign uh, uh, jobs. I was among the uh, teenagers for Luger when he ran for Senate in 1974, and of course went down big time in flames. Although the teenagers for Luger were outstanding. Really, in that campaign. Wasn't Mark Miles? I know. I don't know if he was a teenager, but I know he was working well, on that campaign. He was, and actually, the 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 person who kind of managed all of us was uh, one of the main reasons we were so interested. That it was actually Bert Servas's daughter, Chris, and we all thought Chris was pretty special, and she had us believing that there's no way Luger could lose. And it was actually a pretty close race, considering in 74, yeah, I was, Republicans I mean, got destroyed. Right, and that was Birch. And then two years later, it was Hartke, right, in 76. Yeah. So uh, first 12 years of my life, I lived in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And my I guess my first political memory was when Ivan Lebemoff won for mayor of Fort Wayne. And I can't even tell you what year that was. My family wasn't really as involved in politics. Well, they weren't at all like, like Murray's family was, but we had lively conversations around dinner table a lot. Uh, and so uh, for some reason, I guess I was ill because I was the one that was most interested <laughs> in politics. I do have a very vivid memory of, um, the TV being on and watching the Watergate hearings as a young kid. And then Nixon's resignation, I remember it being a pretty big deal. So that's probably my first big political memory. How did you start D like was there somebody or some event or some person you looked up to, national or local, who said, you know, he's a Democrat. I think he makes sense. This is what I'll do. Um, I think I became a Democrat in college. Uh, I wasn't. My, my parents weren't particularly political. 
Um, and you know, you know what they say, I went down to the, uh, people's Republic of Bloomington and there was nothing else for me to turn into that'd be a Democrat. <laughs> Murray, real quick before Jim takes over, you mentioned the Scottish Presbyterian Democrat, Irish Catholic or Scottish Presbyterian Republican, Irish Democrat, Catholic. How did you decide? Who turned you on? For me, it's always been Ronald Reagan, right? I came to age with Reagan and and well, I mean, I think my dad, my you know, my dad, my uncle, and and my my grandfather was a real hero of mine. He was a very interesting guy and a self-made person, Horatio Alger story, really. Uh, But he was a very conservative dude. You know, he was a banker and real, real conservative. And he he actually became chairman of the Democrat National Party because they'd had a quasi or semi scandal in like 1950 and they kind of threw out all the executive leadership and so they needed a squeaky clean person and he was kind of Truman's pal you know and so that's how that worked out but I took the Catholicism from his side so you know I took some from both sides anyway (laughs) Amber Buff is forever grateful for your that's right (laughs) dedication Jim go ahead what I think you both have very interesting backgrounds. You've both held elected office. You've both been in leadership positions in parties, and you've both worked on a lot of campaigns. I'm interested, uh, Kip, I think I know the answer in your case, uh, it, to the question, what is the biggest highlight uh, in your political career uh, since you wrote a book about it? By the way, I think your book should have been called Turning Blue. Um, but... <laughs> But was well, that- you're not married to me, and my wife picked the title, so that's why it's the title. It is <laughs> a lot more Republicans would have read it if it said if you made it turning blue. Um, was that the, the Obama campaign in 2008 the highlight of your career? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's accurate. There are a lot of highlights, but I mean, that was. Yeah, that was probably the um, that was the the best professional uh, moment, and it's more than a moment. It was. Uh, as Murray would would fully understand and appreciate, we had m- more resources for that campaign than any campaign before or since. Um, and when you had a good idea in that campaign, uh, if they thought it was a good idea, they'd fund it. Uh, a, a lot of folks have a lot of good ideas in you know statewide or local campaigns, but it's a matter of. Uh, having the money and or the uh, the resources to do it, and almost every time that's not the case. But in this in this instance, uh, we got all the money we needed from Chicago uh, to try to put it to the finish line in in uh, in Indiana, and we did. First time a, a Democratic presidential candidate won in Indiana in forty four years. But besides money, you also had a candidate who came here and made forty nine campaign visits, I believe. Yes, um, I'm not sure any presidential candidate, has, other than Barack Obama, has ever made forty nine Indiana visits. Well, as you know, I mean, um, part of that was just a circumstantial. Uh, we had a contested primary that went on till May, uh, and that's you know that that hasn't happened in Indiana very often. And because it came down to two candidates, and and Indiana was very critically important, both of them were here a bunch, and I think actually. Um, uh, in the primary, Hillary Clinton was here even more than uh, than uh, Obama was. And, you know, because of what happened in the primary and he spent so much time here, they took a poll, I think, in midsummer and said, hey, uh, we're within striking distance. Uh, we might as well throw some more resources at this state and see what happens. And that's exactly what they did. And unlike with Hillary Clinton, when he met voters, it actually helped him. (laughs) (laughs) Murray, what was the highlight for you? Uh, First of all, thank you for 
uh, reminding me that no Democrat had won, presidential candidate had won in half a century since I was state chairman that time, 2008. Uh, you know, to me, it's almost the, 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 the journey, really. I don't, I mean, I was, when I was first elected to Senate, and that was, that was a big deal, right? And when Mitch was elected governor after not having, you know, the governor's office for all those years was really big. Um, but just the journey, you know, when I ran for lieutenant governor uh, with David McIntosh in 2000, we lost a squeaker by 340,000 votes. The, uh, you know, the, don't that, concede, Murray. Huh? Don't, do don't concede. We, uh, what it was a tremendous experience. I loved every minute of it. You know, going, I would have never, every minute of it, darn near. <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, I would have never had the opportunity to, to travel the state, to make friendships that are, you know, that last today. You probably feel that way, right? I mean, when you're state yeah. chairman, yeah, I mean, so I, and working, you know, with my dad and my uncle and, and just uh, it's a big deal. I will say, you know, when Susan Brooks won the primary in 2012, that, that was about that was really a, a great moment. Or Congress in the 5th Congressional District right. and you were her campaign chairman. Chairman, right. And that was a beauty. That was when Dan Burton had, had retired and that was a beauty contest. So eight or nine Republicans running for the 5th. And well, she upsets whom? <laughs> well, David McIntosh and who, who you had run right. on the ticket with for yeah. governor. I got to I got to jump in and make sure we get to a story here because uh, <laughs> uh, I, at um, Mike Pence's inaugural as governor, um, it was held outside the state house, and um, during that that race for the house, you were you were chair of Susan Brooks's campaign. Uh, David McIntosh led the whole race. The favorite. Um, I did an interview with him in the state house where I posed a bunch of residency questions to him uh, the week before the election. And, and he got upset and turned and walked away on camera. And so a few months later, I go to Mike Pence's inaugural I come in into the state house afterwards, and I run into Ruthie McIntosh, David's wife, who comes up to me and acts friendly, shakes my hand, says it's great to see you, and says it's great to be back here in the state house since you almost ran David out of it. <laughs> and I, she was I equally on, as friendly as me. Well, I got on the elevator. I got on immediately. Got on the elevator, went down the floor, and there you were. And I said. You'll never guess who just chewed me out. And he said, Ruthie McIntosh. <laughs> she asked me how I can sleep at night. That's right. She did. <laughs> I mean, that was in, in a, you know, that was tough. That was tough for me. But, you know, Susan and David are dear friends and David Brooks. Yes. And, um, you know, we, I had not, David had, had not spent a whole lot of time in Indiana in the last several years while... They were legitimate questions. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever ask an illegitimate it's not, question? It's not the first time someone's been tripped up by one of those questions, right? <laughs> it's true. It's true. But but I guess that, that leads me to a question. I mean, uh, um, especially being state chairman, you, gotta, you often have to choose between friends. It's, I mean... You, People look at politics as R versus D, but often there's a there's an awful lot that goes on behind the scenes. <laughs> well, the toughest fights are the family fights, right? I mean that the um, 
Yeah, you do. I mean, we tried, you know, to the extent possible, we tried to stay out of primary fights, right? And we tried to make it clear to to candidates, unless they got out of line, right? I mean, the and we had some of that, right? Some some uh, primary um, malfeasance that 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 we made pretty clear we weren't going to put up with that, and that costs you elections, as Kip knows, right? I mean. The, so, yeah, you do have to pick friends. And, you know, I still to this day consider Dave McIntosh a friend of mine. I, I like him a lot. Uh, that was just a case where I thought Susan would be great and had the opportunity to win. And and uh, you were right. Yeah. Yeah. She was a great candidate and did well and so forth. I, I would I would add that, you know, um, the family fights tend to uh, – hurt worse and la- and the last long last longer mm-hmm. i mean when i'm fighting with republicans they expect it you know um, by and large i mean some people think that i've crossed the line in the over the years but for the most part people you know look at it and go i was doing my job or you know we expect that i'm going to fight murray clark in the fifth district for the congressional race in the fall and there's usually not hard feelings but if you're going against a family member it's it's a blood feud, and uh, and feelings don't uh, don't come. You know that people don't get over it very easy. Jim, well, ask about two particular races, both of which you covered. I want to start with Kip because we were just talking about it. The the Hillary Clinton faction and the Barack Obama faction in the primary, and then I want to talk to Murray. I want Murray to talk about the ninety six Republican primary, mm. Steve Goldsmith and your your dear friend Rex Early. But go ahead, Kip. Well, you know, it's surprising uh on that level that that there was um hard feelings, uh really, because all of us were proxies for a national ticket. Um and um I uh it, it unwound in a certain way, but I uh you know Evan got out in part because he couldn't get any oxygen in Iowa. He was in the he was running for president at the same time Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were running. Uh, he couldn't get any oxygen once Obama uh, announced. And so he thought Hillary was going to win. So he, you know, hung his sail with her and uh, we were sort of the renegades. Um, and the folks that I grew up with in politics, the Joe Hogsett's, the Evan Buys and the folks that I worked for um, at at some point uh, weren't as happy about the fact that Obama was, you know, really giving them giving Hillary a run for the money. But, um, you know, at the top level after the primary, those folks all got over that stuff. Obviously, Barack Obama named their secretary of state. So um, well, and, and Hillary Clinton did win the Indiana primary. She did. That's right. Oh, Hogsett never ceases to remind me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, but it's it's fair to call. There were you know underneath it was it was there was some bitterness and it it persists. It's fair to be the point of the, talking about Barack Obama's presidency isn't under the purview of this podcast. But you would have to be very myopic, blind, or as hardcore partisan as you get to deny that the the candidate and the campaign in eight was both a phenomenon and phenomenal. I mean, Barack Obama's performance of that year was nothing short of just like textbook. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're not going to get disagreement from me on that. That's for sure. I mean, they uh, they also, you know, they were the first campaign because it was that time to really um, use the Internet. And, That's right. And, uh, uh, 
and use it in a way um, that helped with organizing. Um, they sort of took the Facebook model and put it on their campaign and uh, really helped orga- organically grow um, a, a grassroots network because people could communicate via via the Internet. I would show up to these organizing meetings. You know, in past years when I was helping a presidential campaign or whatever, you'd know everybody in the room and you showed up. I showed up to meetings there and there wasn't anybody I'd ever met before. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it was it was organic, but it was also fueled by, uh, you know, the the Internet at the time. And it was a brand new tool. And they they figured out how to use it in a really big way. Well, and I, I can tell you that having walked into a lot of campaign offices prior to that, they were always, you know, rows of desks and, and very formal situations. And you'd go into the Obama, Indiana office and it was uh, kids in their 20s uh, sitting on the floor, uh, sitting on desks, but everybody on a laptop. And uh, it, it was very informal um, and, and a completely different sort of animal than, than what you've seen before. Well, to, to Kip's point, I mean, the, the thing that to me as a more than casual observer that was remarkable about that is how they got volunteers and did so in a way that they weren't really sure what they were getting other than a lot of volunteers. And most presidential campaigns or campaigns generally, they don't like that uncertainty, right? Mm. But they were at the, at the, you know, at the beginning of the kind of social media outreach for you, you talk about Facebook, right? So you're not never sure exactly who you're talking to. Or, and there was, I'm sure there was times where volunteers showed up that they wish were not there or whatever, but on the whole, they were extraordinarily successful and they really did, you know, lay the foundation for changes, changing the textbook and campaigns going forward. That, that was my view, Kip. Yeah. And the other thing was uh, the talent level here in Indiana for both the primary and general was the top of the Democratic Party um, in, in the country. I mean, it was just they brought in the A team, both in the primary because they needed to win it. And then in the general, you know, not not the top, but the person that had helped out and, and uh, was still advising. And one of the guys then spent seven years in the White House, uh, you know, and has become a dear friend over the years, originally from Indiana. So they really had top notch, uh, some of the smartest people I've ever been around in politics. So it was it was pretty extraordinary. We should also note that Kip, did you graduate or just went to North Central with the current chief of staff for President Biden? He's a year older. A year older and a hell of a lot smarter, but yeah, we're on claim. <laughs> Murray, 1996. Let me say one more thing about, okay, go ahead. about that was, you know, Mc, uh, Obama was here 49 times and McCain showed up one and a half times. Sarah Palin came once. Well, Sarah Palin did So come McCain on. came for a fundraiser and he was in the Columbia Club and I'd never met him and I introduced myself to him and he was, you know, congenial, very friendly. And I said, hey, I feel duty bound to mention one thing to you on behalf of the state Republican uh, committee. He said, what's that, Mr. Chairman? I said, well, have you thought about maybe some amendments of the McCain-Feingold <laughs> law? And he, his demeanor completely changed. And he basically, well, I'm not going to tell you exactly what he said. 
So he didn't. And then the second. The answer was no, though. <laughs> <laughs> and I, my response was, well, thank you, Senator. I'll report back to the, <laughs> to the Central yeah. Because I know I know former Chairman uh, Mike McDaniel had a conversation with him about McCain-Feingold at one point, and he, and he stuck a finger in McDaniel's chest. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that, that trip, he actually wore my PO, I have a John McCain POW bracelet, and he wore it for that event. I ended up getting it back from him. I asked him to wear it, and yeah. he said, I'll wear it. And he wore it, and then the Secret Service is taking him out, and I'm having to chase him down. Like, no, I want it, I want it back. <laughs> but clearly, was it, or in your in your expert opinion, Murray, did McCain just take it for granted? Because I know that the party and the campaign here was begging for resources and for his, you know, for him to show up, and he just didn't. Yeah, I mean, he was in trouble in a lot of states, right? I think so. I think he probably did. If he, I think he felt if he had to spend a whole lot of time in Indiana, he was going to lose anyway, which is. Which was accurate. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that was. I, would, yeah. I, would, I was granted a one-on-one interview with him, and I was fond of telling people afterwards that I had interviewed him, but I never met him because <laughs> he was. He when I walked into the room, he was talking to an aide. He didn't pay any attention to me until the camera was on, and as soon as the camera was off, he turned back to this aide. So we did. We didn't have a single social word. Wow, ninety-six. Stephen Goldsmith is sitting mayor of Indianapolis, recently reelected in 95. Everyone thinks he's a slam dunk to be nominated and maybe win. Ended up being an upset, I think you could say. But he. I don't think there's any doubt. I wouldn't say it wasn't an upset. I would definitely say it was. You think it was? Yeah, it was definitely an upset. Obeying and beating Goldsmith. And that's come through in some of our other podcasts that they thought it was an upset. But the primary was a little like the uh, Army Navy game. Well. In the context, right? It's eight years after Evan serves eight years, so it's eight years since sixteen years of Republican governors, right? With Bowen and and Orr, so this Republicans are licking their chops, right? And and Steve gets in, and Steve um, wasn't, you know, he he wasn't a great retail politician statewide. Let's put it that way, right? So so Rex. I've I've heard stories about him showing up at fundraisers and essentially asking for the check and leaving. <laughs> Sounds like McCain with you. <laughs> he was a brilliant mayor, I think, right? And and a friend. But I mean he uh and Rex got in and then it was it was something. I mean uh, has has Rex early ever said anything? This is a question to Murray and to Jim because you're both close friends. Has he ever said anything that surprised you? Uh, well, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing he said to me once. We had, uh, if you remember Keith Luce, when Keith Luce was Republican of the, or chairman of the, Repu- of the state party, and the party was broke, and it, it got thrown out of its offices, and ended up over God, there. Those were the good old days. Old spaghetti factory. Remember that? <laughs> yep. And so Rex becomes chairman, and they're broke. And finds out, of course, that Keith Luz has uh, refused the the pri- the personalized license plate money, which was like four hundred thousand dollars to each party at the time, right? Well, Ann Delaney was smart enough to know that. Keith Luce needed that $400,000 more than she did, so she went along with it. So Rex says, well, we, let's just start it up again. Let's just get it going again. And so he hires Brooks 
and me. David Brooks. David Brooks. And we take it on a contingency. Okay? And so that was the old time when you, you knocked out the, uh, the county, change of venue, the county, you know, if you go outside of Indianapolis. So there's two counties left, and we have one knockout. And one is Shelby County. And we t- we talked to our people in Shelby County, and boy, this is this is going to be. I know, you know, the 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 res the by residency decision down there probably wasn't great for. So we told Rex we're going to Shelby County, and he said, "You two better be right." And so <laughs> we we you know submitted the brief. So for we get the report back. Or the order back, and we lose. Was it Judge O'Connor? It was Judge O'Connor. <laughs> and Rex called me, and David's sitting there, and he says, I'll, I'll be careful. He says, you two must be the two <laughs> dumbest lawyers in the city. <laughs> and how long have you known Rex Early? <laughs> And so we just took it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know Rex Early since you were a kid, is that? Yeah, well, no, he was in the legislature with with Dad, right? And then he was actually as a young guy, right? He was the campaign manager for Alex when he ran for mayor in '67. He's an old Marine. He and as as your dad was, was Dad, guy. right? And and uh, and his, you know Pat, his son Pat, and I are very close to her, but. Uh, he that campaign was something, and really one of the most interesting stories out of that campaign was that he told at the um, at the party on the, <laughs> at the primary night when he told a story about Angie. So his daughter um, looks like Barbara, acts like Rex, you know, and <laughs> tougher than a three dollar steak, you know. So she's got young kids; her husband's working. She gets up in the morning, feeds the kids, goes to Rex's, you know, the campaign headquarters, right, and gets everybody all all excited and so forth, and works all day. Then she at night she goes home, feeds the kids, gives them a bath, goes back to headquarters, gets the volunteers, gets in her van, and they go around stealing Steve Goldsmith's song, yard sign. <laughs> And the stat we've got two lawyers in the room. Statute yeah, so, limitations. Yeah, statues run. So <laughs> they pile, and then now the volunteers are asleep because it's two or three in the morning, right? And she's piling them in this van, and she so she goes back, drops them off, goes home, takes care of the kids, comes back. But the best part of it is the first thing she does when she comes back to her dad's headquarters in the morning is call the Goldsmith headquarters and scream at him. For stealing Rex early yard stock. <laughs> Before we move on from this, uh, Murray, were you there or were you there, Jim? I know you weren't there, Kip, because it's the Republican National Convention where Rex tells the national reporter, Jim, on CNN, that you? That, on CNN would, yeah. would complain about the hotel accommodations you're talking about? Remember when he was he was talking about some nefarious activities, and she said, what's your name? Talking to Rex. And, and he, he said, Steve Goldsmith. Goldsmith. <laughs> <laughs> that was not... Which one? would That wouldn't have been... Uh, that would Houston. have been 2000, I think. <laughs> so in, in, to finish up, you know, so Rex has got a lot of friends, and... 
He had no money as state chairman, thanks to Judge O'Connor and Ann Delaney. <laughs> and uh, so the delegates, he just sold his delegate spot, right? I mean, if I'd have tried to get away with that when I was state chairman. So the whole, that's why all his buddies were in the bar at Houston. You were talking about that earlier, right? Right. And just holding court. I mean, it was, it was, that's how we made Made payroll. <laughs> Jim, let me thank the sponsors. I'll turn it back over to you. You're listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. And I would be remiss not to mention the fact that Murray Clark probably never would have hired me had it not been for the intercession of one P.E. McAllister in 2006. Our guests today are former Indiana Republican Party Chairman Murray Clark and former Indiana State Democrat Party Chairman Kip Two. Jim? We, I think we need to talk a little bit about the uh, the race for governor between Joe Kernan and Mitch Daniels, since you were both involved. Um, that was, uh, for my money, uh, the toughest race. Uh, it, I mean, it was it was big money on both sides and uh, hard feelings on both sides. I think it was it was the, in terms of bare knuckle politics, uh, it was the toughest thing I think I've seen. What what about you guys, Kip? You first. I still haven't gotten over. That, that's any <laughs> indication of anything. We should mention Kip was chairman of the Indiana Democratic Party at, at during the time, that yes. during the uh, that uh, election. Yeah, I, um, a word about Joe Kernan. He's uh, probably my political hero, and I thought uh, would would have been a fantastic governor. Um, the, the state of Indiana was blessed uh, with their decision, at least in that campaign. They were not going to get a a bad governor, no matter who won, but. I happen to believe that Joe Kernan uh, uh, was he's one of the most outstanding people I've met, let alone politicians I met. And so my disappointment persists to this day because I know what kind of person he was. Um, uh, you know, it was it was knock down, drag out. Um, uh, the Republican Murray and friends of Murray, I think, for a year had been doing some really good planning um, in figuring out. Uh, where the vulnerability of we of our side was, and they exploited it very very well. Um, Mitch, of course, um, uh, built uh, uh, a persona uh, that worked very well. Uh, clearly, the idea I think uh, it didn't come from him, from what I understand, but I actually went inside it. But to take the RV and go around the state and do a half hour. Um, uh, TV program certainly broke the mold and 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 gave him a persona that of course he didn't have before that. Mm-hmm. I mean he he was a he was a, an Eli Lilly executive um, and and he had been at the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee and he had been you know at the top of. You think uh, he was going to Goodwill to get those plaid shirts? <laughs> So he done. He had done. He's you know, frugal enough to go he, to Goodwill to get. Oh, I don't think there's shirts. any doubt he was personally cheap. I think we can. We <laughs> there's stories we could tell not on this podcast that would prove that part. But, but you know, it 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 was a very tough campaign. Um, I didn't sleep. Uh, I think I had you know one or two uh, panic attacks in the middle of that campaign. Um, you know, just 
mostly because I was petrified that my hero might lose. Um, but it was, it, it, it was, uh, a lot of tough decisions, uh, in that campaign that, uh, you know, when you lose, you look back and go, what, what should we have, what could we have done differently? Um, but you know, fundamentally, uh, it, it came down to, um, I think that the voters kind of thought Joe Kernan wasn't as interested in the job as Mitch Daniels was. And we had been in power for 16 years and it was, you know, it was a cycle that it was our turn to lose. Um, and so we were swimming upstream for that reason first that we had been in power for 16 years. But the second reason was Joe had decided not to run. Right. And, um, and then there was a bitter primary on our side between um, Vice Simpson and Joe Andrew. Um, and it gotten really bad, um, between the factions and then Frank O'Bannon passed away and Joe Kernan became the governor and, uh, out of a sense of purpose. And also I think out of a sense of, um, obligation to, uh, the party, he said, I'm going to go ahead and run. And it's interesting. I don't want to get too off, too off on a tangent, but I'll never forget. We were in these focus groups, which I'm sure you've been in front of before in your times. And, we didn't really talk about that component of the campaign, right? It was sort of the unspoken. How are we, we didn't, we didn't, I guess we didn't address what was unspoken in the room, which is why did he change his mind? And we're in these focus groups and each one of the, we had several of them and each one of them brought it up on their own and said, well, Mm. we think he did it out of obligation, but he's really, his heart's really not in it. And, and we never, I think, never really addressed that issue in the right way and answered the question, why did you decide you're not going to run and then decide to run? And I mean, it, it, it was amazing to me that the focus group picked up on that and, but we never really figured it out inside what the right answer to that was. Kit, may I ask a question real quick before we talk to Murray about the, the, the Daniels campaign? Is it your belief and I would agree with you if you would agree with me, if that makes sense. <laughs> Kernan would have beaten any other Republican other than Daniels and Luger. But I mean, he was he was popular. He had an incredible war record. He was certainly a, a Hoosier patriot. But the Republicans just happened to, you know, cajole and find the one guy who put on such a great messaging campaign that it was just too much. Yeah, it's hard to know. I, I believe had Joe not ever gotten out that Mitch Daniels wouldn't have gotten in. You recall that Mitch made the decision to get in after Joe got out. And I, I it's my belief that if Joe Kernan had stayed in that race and you wouldn't have had Vice Simpson versus Joe Andrew, that uh, Mitch would have never been convinced to run against him. But I don't know that to be the case. That's just my supposition. It- Murray, the prevailing uh, Republican view of that campaign, looking back, is very romantic. It's about RV one and and uh, the campaign that that Mitch Daniels ran. But I think a lot of people forget how tough that was. And my my lasting memory from that race, I was on the panel at the final debate that was held at IU Southeast in New Albany. And I don't think I've ever been in a room that was that tense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I let felt me, it. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. First of all, you know, Joe was my friend too, and um, we actually had a lot of fun in 2000. You know, we were did some debates and had fun out at the state fair, and you know, consistent with what we said before, one reason why Kip guys like Kip and I don't get too excited is because there's a 
it's it's ups and downs, right? So in 2000, he's beating the hell out of me. Um, when I'm pointing run, at Kip run, too, by the way, <laughs> running against uh, Joe for lieutenant governor, and two, you know, so that's a that's a great day for for him, a great election. And 2004, not so good, and then 2008, good. You know, you can never be too high or too low in this business. Joe Kernan had utmost respect. It was knockdown drag out. I mean, witness the fact, of course, that Mitch convinced uh, Joe and and the Chief Justice Shepard to chair that uh, you know committee later on. You know that the, the um, so you know Mitch is pretty good at politics. I remember saying to him, you know, he's very involved in his campaign. I said to him, you know, sometimes in my experience, the can when the candidate really tries to run his or her own campaign doesn't work out well. And he said, he just said, okay, thank, thank you for your opinion. <laughs> so, so, I mean, he's, he's very good. And, you know, we were talking about the Goldsmith statewide campaign. And I mean, he, right. It hadn't been that long, right. It had been eight years. And so the, the whole idea of the RV and and the show, you know, that was Australian lovers, and I'm sure Kittle wants to take credit for it. But uh, yeah, I always heard it was lovers, but maybe lovers takes too much credit. Well, that could be too. But we took that ratty old uh, RV. The first trip was to Rosie's Diner in Greene County, and it's out in the middle of nowhere, right? It's got uh, hitching posts out front and so forth, and Pulled in and just kind of right away ripped the air conditioner off the top of it, right? <laughs> and then if you remember the primary, right, he had a primary, if you recall, against Eric Miller and, and his crew. And Eric Miller had the slickest RV. Did you, did you ever see that? I mean, it was, you know, rock star type stuff. You put them next to each other and there was there was no comparison. One of the romant, you know, reasons for romantic. By, by, by the way, Eric Miller leads an organization called Advance America, right? That's right. I just, I just Advance, well, it's now Advance America. He's expanded. Um, but I, I noticed uh, um, when you were in the state Senate, you had an 86% voting record with Advance America. <laughs> Is that a compliment or? <laughs> Murray, do you want me to swing, but spring back into action as your comms director? I'm happy to push back against <laughs> that if you'd like. What you're not saying is that I was like the lowest percentage in my <laughs> caucus, right? Well, we talked about textbook campaigns, 2008, Barack Obama. You'd have to be, and we have Kip here, but again, you'd have to be a pretty hardcore partisan not to at least acknowledge that Daniels's campaign for governor was yeah. pretty specifically strong. Well, I mean, but you know, again, it's it's hard to compare the two elections, right? I mean, he he his his opponent in two thousand four was, you know, very strong. His opponent in two thousand eight, not so much. And uh, but the romanticism comes in that <laughs> Mitch that whole campaign and afterwards said, "I never, I've run for governor twice, and I've never had a negative." campaign right or a negative ad or whatever and it, if you remember at the at the end of 2004 well you wouldn't know this robert but they gave us the the uh, uh um, framed uh, graphs of the polling did you ever see one of those no yeah no. and so it goes like this up and, and down up and down well i could point where his he had a successful you know negative you know, Comparison, comparison ad, ad right? comparison. <laughs> <laughs> and and I can point where Joe came right back and had his own, right? I mean, that was that was uh, 
as a as a way of putting a bow on this particular and to tell you what kind of guy uh, Murray Clark is. During my time as communications director for the Indiana Republican Party, I would wear Joe Kernan's POW bracelet to work. Murray Clark never once told me I shouldn't. Oh no, he was Joe was my buddy. So was Frank. I mean, they were president of the Senate when I was there, and my dad actually served with Frank's dad in the legislature. Yeah, they're Jim's, great people. Jim's got better great perspective. Hoosiers, both of them. Absolutely. Jim's got better perspective on this, so I'm going to try to make this a question that all three of you can answer, because Kip and I have actually had this discussion on one of our many bike rides. The assertion is politics today is worse than it ever was, and we need to get back to the old-time way of someone being someone's buddy and work, reaching across the aisle. I, I personally believe that that charge is a little overheated but jim murray kip well what's different now is social media Mm -hmm. and and the involvement of the public and surrogates i I mean like when when we point to that race between kernan and daniels it was rough i mean there were there were there were bad things said (laughs) about those candidates in paid messages um but what you didn't have then is is all the social media with with supporters jumping in and saying things that are even worse. Um, <laughs> I, you, you know, I think I think that uh, what what's going on in Indiana and America today uh, it is this whole discussion that takes place on on social media and and it's people feel that that they can say things that they would never say face to face. Yeah, I think I think it is worse, um, but I think it ebbs and flows. It's worse than when I came in. You know, I mean, if you look back in the history of America, it's been a lot worse than it is today. I think in in, in various times, uh, but I think we're in a pretty bad moment. Um, and I came into politics when we weren't in a very bad moment. And that would have uh, been so about for, when. I mean, my my first uh, real involvement was 1984. I uh, was part of the Gary Hart campaign and then was the driver for John Livengood, who was the state chair in the fall campaign of 84. I had just graduated from college. Um, you know, I mean, it was that campaign was Wayne Townsend versus uh, Robert Orr. And the worst thing that we said about y'all was that you had a bad BMV system, which was inarguably true. <laughs> and that was a darn close election. Yeah, that, yeah. fact, that turned out to be pretty close election. Well, yeah. And in yeah. fact, by, and Bob Orr... Um, got rid of the BMV system yep. in, in his second term. I can tell you the the Orr campaign did not run any comparative or negative ads in that race, but they, they had them prepared um, and they were watching the polling and it, it got close enough. They almost pulled them out. Well, we did our yeah. podcast on, on, on Orr. Remember Jim? And we had Mark Lubbers on Bob Grant, Darlene Sherman and Lubbers. Mark Lubbers was talking about how close that race actually was and thought if it had yeah. gone another week, even with Reagan winning 49 states nationally. Murray, old time versus now? Yeah, I mean, I think the social media part of it has changed everything. I mean, we live in a, a world where, um, you know, more and more people are in a bubble, and they and they, they just won't accept that there's a, a reasonable uh, alternative position, right? And so we've, it seems to me we've lost a sense of a common good, you know, being the utmost thing we want to accomplish. I'm myopic enough just to think Indiana isn't as bad as most places or even, you know, certainly D.C. You're not on Facebook, are you? <laughs> Actually, I'm not. <laughs> I, I, I don't know 
if you were done. I didn't want to interrupt you. No, but, no go ahead. But I think it's I think it's more than social media. Uh, I do, I, and and this may come off partisan, but it's not intended to be. I think when when the FCC um, uh, got rid of the fairness doctrine, and you had the rise of conservative radio, and then. Uh, uh, Fox News, I think it changed everything. Um, uh, you, uh, when I was growing up, uh, even though conservatives complained about the Washington Post and complained about the New York Times and complained about the TV stations, all of America tuned in and they realized that, you know, Jim's profession were the referees. We don't have referees anymore. And I believe not having a referee makes it coarser and harder. People refuse to believe facts. Um, and because there, there's no uh, agreed upon facts, and there's been arguments about those certainly over the years, but there was a baseline, I think, that um, you could turn to. And uh, there was a place where, you know, uh, where anti-vaxxers uh, wouldn't get oxygen, but now they get oxygen. I mean, it was the number one story on Facebook for two months, and it was incorrect information. And that just didn't happen many years ago when you had a referee. Well, Murray and I will not will resist the temptation to push back as Republicans for that. Clearly things have changed, but you read about some of the campaigns, even in the last 50 years, the 20th century, how rough and tumble they were. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Kennedys recruiting Franklin Roosevelt Jr. to go to West Virginia during the primary to accuse Hubert Humphrey of being, being a draft dodger. That's about as bare knuckle as it gets. But I want to, I want to go on to that to append to that because Kip and what you do for a living, you got a lot of friends on the other side of the aisle. Hopefully you include me as one of them. Murray, your reputation as being someone who you can work with is just about perfect. I wrote a speech for Murray one time when he was state chair and I was his comms guy and he was given a speech up in Lake County. He was invited by Erlene Rogers, who was a Democrat, uh, served for a long time in the state house. And the first line I wrote was, now, Senator Rogers, I can be really, really mean to you or really, really nice to you, whichever serves you better. <laughs> yeah. You remember that? Well, and, you know, Erlene Rogers, you know, what I've learned from people like Erlene Rogers or Teresa Lubbers or Susan Brooks or, you know, some of my really good friends is you become effective and a better leader when you stop and listen to the life experiences of somebody who may not agree with you all the time. Erlene really taught me that, right? She would come back to my desk and say, now, why'd you vote that way? And I said, well, here's why I did. And she said, I said, why'd you vote? And she'd explain it, right? I mean, that's how you become effective. I, I just don't think there's people are taking the time to learn, a, you know, about the makeup of the people across the aisle or with whom they disagree. And to, to Susan Brooks, great credit. She I, she understood that. She really tried to reach out and and, and uh, learn about life experiences of people on the other side. I just don't think there's people don't have time to deal with it. They're not they're not they're not reaching out. Maybe more in the state house. Kip, you're there more than I am. But it's actually gotten worse. Um, you used to be able to take legislators from uh, differing parties out and play poker and and or go to dinner and you know, argue, but you, you had a basis for respect for each other. It's harder to get guys to go out together these and days. And does the modern Somewhat. climate make it harder to just be reasonable? Like I've always yeah. thought that one of the reasons that Murray is so respected is he's just, he's seen as reasonable. Let's have a, I mean, I don't flack for him anymore. He's not my boss, but, but one of the reasons I wanted to work at state party was to work 
besides the fact that Jennifer Hollowell hired me for a gig I had no business getting. But I wanted to work for Murray because he was so well-respected because he was seen as reasonable. Kip, you run into them. John Day, Andy Jacobs, other folks who have seen as like, let's have a discussion, be reasonable. Is that kind of gone? Um, not behind the scenes so much. Um, you know, if you, it's like Murray said, if you can sit down and talk with somebody and, and you can disagree, be dis, but not be disagreeable. Some of that's still there, but you do have some, we've always had some guys on the edges at the legislature. You oh, serve yeah. with a few of them. There seems to be more of them on the edge, but they're still reasonable people in charge. I mean, I think the governor's reasonable. I think, uh, I think Rod Bray's reasonable. I think Todd Houston are reasonable people. I agree. I was going to mention that. I think the leaders of the four caucuses are reasonable people. I get that sense. Yeah. Jimmy, you have a couple more questions before we get to the five questions? Well, sure. Uh, it, Kip, you served in the city county council. You, you've run for other offices. Um, you ran for one, didn't you? City council. <laughs> and lost. <laughs> After you had already served. And who took you to lunch the next day? Yeah, my boy, Robert Vane. Okay. Go ahead and ask the question. Well, no, my point is, you know, with all this discussion about being in party leadership and, and uh, you know, working on campaigns, um, why would you want to be in office? I always wanted to be in office um, from before I was a party leader. Uh, you know, because I, I, I wanted to make a difference. And uh, people did ask me, uh, well, you've been the state chair, you ran Obama's campaign, you've been involved at a high level. Why would you want to run for city council? And I really loved that job. I enjoyed the heck out of it. People look at me like I'm crazy, but uh, you could help people. Um, you know, uh, this is a really dumb example, but we had a pothole as you round the curve on Westfield that was really deep one day. And somebody called me and said, hey, I almost hit somebody head on avoiding that pothole. Can you help? And so I called DPW, even though it was Ballard administration, said, hey, you know, this is dangerous. And they had it filled within a couple hours. And that's a very small example. But, you know, you may have saved somebody's life that day. It's fulfilling on a on, you know, the, probably the same reason Marie got involved in politics originally. You're, you're trying to make the world a better place. And uh, at the at the local level, you really can help. Um, uh, you know, some of the folks that uh, our senators in the United States Senate, they they, they prefer to be pontificators, um, which has its place, no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed being on the council. I was upset when I lost because I wanted to continue to do that. And, and, and you know, I had I had a view on how I thought the city ought to be run and how my district could be improved and those type of things. And so I really enjoyed it. I, I also, uh, unlike most people that have been chairs, I enjoyed the hell out of being a county and a state chair. I mean, not like Murray saying he loved every minute of it. I didn't love every minute of it. I liked every minute of running for lieutenant. <laughs> I didn't say I loved every minute of being state chair. Yeah. Uh, no, no. I mean, I, I did not. And, and I can say I didn't enjoy every minute of being the state chair or the county chair, but I loved the job, both of them. Yeah. Why did you serve in office? When I was growing up, you know, the running for office um, was considered, you know, a community service, right? Public service. It was uh, in our family. It meant something. Now, all too all too often, it's used. It's described in a derisive way, right? Politician, politics, and so forth. And I mean, I just observed you know, the people around me and why they did it and why they gave up their time and what it meant. Um, so I kind of started young and, 
And uh, but my, you know, my siblings were smart enough not to get embedded in it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I loved I loved being in the Senate, and um, you know, the the president pro tem at the time and I didn't get along great. Bob Garten. Um, I actually like him as a person. I just he he did he did not like Rex at all, and his feeling was mutual, right? So I got. Painted with the sins of think, my friend. Is that why we did? But Rex got behind a primary candidate who, who took him out of the. Took I was just well, afraid of the, Is that why well, I but, didn't do anything to help uh, Senator Garton in 2006 when I was working for you? Well, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> no, but I, I Takes mean, offense at that. But, but I didn't you know, after the, the primary, Governor Daniels asked me to, you know, become state chair. I'd never considered or even thought it was a great idea, but I didn't. You know, I don't take instructions very well and and i figured as long as garton was going to be president pro tem right i'd be a back back a seater and then he gets beaten in the primary good timing on my part <laughs> <laughs> but uh i loved i loved the senate i loved the you know i love the 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 way you know people paint the law making processes being all insider and you know and not well thought out and all that that wasn't my experience there right i mean the, the process makes sense and if it's meaningful you have to really go you know tough legislation takes a couple of years usually and i loved i loved the process and i loved um i loved the the way it ended right i loved the 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 way uh, you had no matter you going through the whole process but you better have your stuff together when you get to the end so yeah it, it was a great experience i loved it one thing that it's it's come to light when you when you talk to executives people at the highest level one of the things that they they enjoy talking about the most if you guys could answer relatively quickly is their staff Murray, I obviously know more about this than yeah, I do so with Kip's staff. Mo but. Most of, you know, our staff. <laughs> how proud, both of you, how I mean, proud are you? Yeah, I mean, they are, uh, we were, we did well because our staff was great. I mean, uh, Jennifer was a really an extraordinary uh, executive director, followed by Kevin Ober, who was fantastic. Different personalities, different approaches. But we had, you know, we had young young people some of whom were learned at the feet of kittle which we had to take <laughs> care of you know Mar marty and all that we i am really proud of them chris, I, I, chris I, jensen who's now the mayor of nobleville sure, was yeah. your staff i mean liam mcgrath you know i could go on and on mindy colbert just really wonderful people they've Jeff been coats served on the city county they've Council been right they're high achieving people but more so than that they're really wonderful people. And, and as you know, and to, to be a staffer, right, this isn't a nine to five job. You had to, this wasn't for everybody and, and you had to explain it. So these were all not just committed, good people, high achievers, but really hardworking. I, I got a call every once in a while late at night, Vane, Murray, interviewing with Shella tomorrow. What's my message? <laughs> like, can you give me an hour and I'll call you back? That happened quite a bit. But the staff, the staff is is what you say. The list goes on and on. Kip, the people you worked with? Well, 
you know, my best friends to this day are people that I worked on campaigns with. Um, we still hang out. We still have a good time together. Uh, they're some of the best people I've ever known because most of them were in, in this business for the same reason. You know, they, they wanted to make the world a better place. And that, that goes across parties, right? I mean, I get along with you because you got into it. Uh, I mean, we don't agree on hardly anything, uh, but we go on bike rides together and argue and have fun and, and, um, and uh, it's because most of the people that are involved in this process over the years are doing it because they wanted to help people and they got into it, got into it for that reason. So it's it's pretty easy to be friends with folks like that, I think. And, yeah, I mean, when I was a state chair, Molly Cheevers was my fundraiser um, and she went on to great fame and fortune here in Indianapolis, has done a fantastic yeah. job. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the the uh, the township. um uh, for Lawrence Township, uh, Constable Terry Burns was my press secretary back when I was state party chair. Dan Parker, who's the head of DPW, uh, of course, went on to be the state chair, was my executive director. Joe Larry, whose offices we sit in right now, Joe Larry Smith was my political director. So all folks that are, you know, have had uh, great careers uh, further on when I was state chair. And, they've, you know, it's, it's, it's been a joy to be around this business my whole career. Uh, before we get to the five questions, do you want to re-answer the five questions, Jim? It's been two years since we asked them to you. Sure, I'll you do better this your time. Answers. I'll do better this time. But one of the first questions I had to ask, which I completely skipped over, forgive me, is when did the two of you, Murray and Kip, first meet? I don't recall it. Well, in 2000, <laughs> in 2000 he was really helping Joe Kernan, and so we had three debates scheduled. The first one was at the State Fair. And, you know, Kernan and Clark, a couple of city boys, so every, everybody's nervous about what we might say, right? And so we get done, and we shake hands, and they're, oh, my God, they didn't screw up, right? So then we had a, we had a debate on, in Richmond, in, in economic develop, front of an economic development group, right? It was, a, it, was a, it was a home game for Joe, but we had a lot of fun there. I, I don't know if you remember that one. And so we're getting ready to have a third one. And somebody from our, our campaign comes in and says, you know, that Kip, too, he's he's being unreasonable <laughs> negotiating the terms of this debate. I said, there are going to be 12 people that care about this debate. <laughs> tell, tell Kip, too, we're out. And we did. We just said, that's, a, that's my first experience with Kip. <laughs> we have reached the point in the Leaders and Legends podcast uh, for our five questions, and Jim's going to re-engage. You ready? Sure. What was your, Jim, you did not get this question because originally the first question of the five questions was, what was your first car, which I've now changed to, what was your first job? Well, my first job was working for my father, uh, who owned a power company um, that was founded by my grandfather, his served two small towns and 20 farms in between in southern Minnesota and uh, all through high school and uh, and college I uh, did a number of jobs there everything from running a jackhammer to uh, pushing pipe under streets and uh, wow <laughs> yeah um, Murray uh, first real job where I actually got paid I worked for a pharmaceutical wholesaler by the name of Russian Hibble and they're their warehouse was at 10th and central. Now it's, it's gentrified. Right. But, and, um, I made big money. I was 14 or 15. I made uh, a minimum wage, but if I poured muratic acid, I got 
a penny a gallon more wow. uh, until the FDA saw it and they said you have to be 18 and that came right there. <laughs> Kip? I delivered the newspaper as a newspaper boy for the Bloomington um, uh, Bloomington Herald Times. Uh, I, I mean, Herald it, Telephone. It was Herald. a telephone back yeah. then. That's right. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, was seventh grade. Kip, what was your first concert? Without my parents, it was the Doobie Brothers and uh, Eddie Money, uh, I think 1978, Market Square Arena, still one of the greatest concerts of all time. Pretty darn good. (laughs) Murray? I saw Elton John uh, in Arizona as a kid, first time. That's pretty darn good. Uh, I saw a triple bill at the Sioux Falls Arena, Uh, Gary Puckett uh, and the Union Gap, Three Dog Night, and the Beach Boys. Wow. That's my favorite question of the five questions, because you just never know. I still say, I've said this on several podcasts, Greg Ballard's first concert being Sly and the Family Stone in Bloomington (laughs) is a scene that I just can't quite picture. (laughs) Jim, if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you choose? All the President's Men. Uh, as I told you the first time, it, uh, I've, it, it, I'm not a huge reader. There aren't very many books I've read more than once. I think I've read all the President's Men three times. And there, any lesson you want to learn about journalism is in there somewhere. Well, I love Seabiscuit. It's the, I love sports, you know, historical books. Seabiscuit's wonderful. I've read a lot of the uh, Halverson's baseball books and all that. But the the books about LBJ, Master of the Senate, and the one before that, which I forget the name of, was just, yeah, Pathway to Power. They are remarkable books. Robert Caro books, is that right? Yeah. Kip? You can Uh, say Journey to Blue. I I, (laughs) know. I'd lose all credibility. Um, I, I'm going to go fiction. Uh, obviously, I'm on the Vonnegut uh, Museum board, and so uh, I think everybody in Indiana and across the world needs to read Slaughterhouse-Five. Um, people would look at it and not think that it's a political book, but it is, um, uh, and it is a, a lesson in life, and it's a fantastic way to start uh, if, you're, if you're starting your reading journal uh, journey. And I've mentioned this to you before. I'd love to do a podcast on Kurt Vonnegut, including you and anyone else you so choose. Kip, if you could witness any event in history, be there as it happens, which event would you choose? Wow. Um, Would I be in a hermetically sealed, safe environment? It'd probably be storming the beaches in Normandy. Um, You know, when the United States saved the world from from Nazis. I think that mine's the same thing. We did the trip to... Oh, it's unbelievable. Normandy, right after uh, the president was there celebrating the 75th anniversary uh, at the cemetery and all that. It, it was it was really compelling. I think my answer would be the same. Jim? You know, I'm going to delve into my family history again. My, my grandfather was an electrician who saved up his money and got off a train in the first town that didn't have electricity, and he built a small coal generator, and I, I wish I could have been there when the lights came on for the first time. That's a good answer. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, living today, two hours off the record, talk about anything you want, whom would you choose? Jim? Boy, I you know I missed this one the last time, and uh, you know everybody says George Bush or Barack Obama. I uh, I think I'd I'd like to talk to somebody who's been in a role like these guys more behind the scenes. Uh, somebody like David Axelrod, Murray. 
Wow. Well, I was, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I mean, George Bush, I, I was a Bush guy. I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those rotten George, you know, Bush family people. And George and, Bush, H W or George W. Well, I mean, H, it'd have to be George W. Right. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I played, actually played college baseball with his cousin who's, who's, you know, he's very close with and, um, yeah, probably him. And, and and his wife, who I have great respect for. Mm -hmm. Boy, I'm going over about 15 names in my head, so uh, having to pick. The, no one has pick picked Ed one. Tracy yet. Yeah, I've, I've spent two hours with Ed Tracy, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to spend more, but uh, I think I can do that. So we that's love not, him. That's not the issue. Uh, you know, uh, Shella made me think about David Pluff, who I think uh, was one of the most brilliant campaign people in America. He would be on the list. I, I would like to have two hours alone with Obama um, just to talk about that 08 campaign again. But there's I mean, there's sports figures I'd love to sit down with. There's musicians I'd love to sit down with. Springsteen come to the top of the list. Jackson Brown. Um, there's so many people. So many people. But it, I love the question. But I don't have a, I'm, I don't I don't have a number one. I don't think. One of the things we try to do on the Legions and Legends podcast is 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 to bring uh, people who are friends but maybe have opposed each other in a friendly way from time to time. Um, the podcast itself is designed to be informative, entertaining, and comfortable. And I think we did that uh, today. And we did it with our other ones, with Ed Tracy and Jim Kittle, Michael Connor, Paul Okasin. Robin Winston and Mike McDaniel, John Mutz and Louis Mayhern. It's a lot of fun. And you have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guests today have been former Indiana Democratic Party Chairman Kip Two, former Indiana Republican Party Chairman Murray Clark, and our good friend and frequent co-host Jim Sella. Thanks to all of you for joining us. It was a lot of fun, just like I thought it would be. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Veteran